Another one of my New Year's uh, resolutions was to try to speak more specifically about the kinds of things I think will help us personally, each one of us individually, live out the joy of being free and spiritual people. And the reason I feel this is really important is because progressivism is actually collapsing in front of our eyes, and there are a lot of different reasons. Joel Kotkin, uh, excellent political observer, uh, wrote a piece at unheard.com. He said, over the past several decades, the progressive left has successfully fulfilled Antonio Gramsci's famed admonition to, of a long march through the institutions. In almost every Western country, uh, leftist adherents now dominate the education system, media, cultural institutions, and financial behemoths. But what do they have to show for it? Not as much as they might have expected. Rather than a Bolshevik-style assumption of power, there's every chance this institutional triumph will not produce an enduring political victory, let alone substantially change public opinion. Even before Biden's botched Build Back Better initiative, says Kotkin, American progressives faced opposition to their wildly impractical claims about achieving zero COVID and zero emissions, confronting systemic racism, quote unquote, by defunding the police, regulating speech, and redefining two biological sexes into a multiplicity. Increasingly, the march has started to falter. Now, part of this is obviously true. I mean, if you watch them, they are back on their heels in almost every way. And part of it is just the fact that leftist ideas don't work. And the right often lives off this fact. We live off the fact that leftist ideas fail. And so, you know, their cities are collapsing. Uh, people are moving away by the hundreds of thousands. I think over a million people have left the blue states to go to red states. The crime, even, even the left is now forced to admit that crime is out of control in their cities. The lockdowns accomplish nothing. They damage children. Masks are damaging children. They're all starting to talk about this as if we haven't been saying it all along because they don't listen to us. So they they don't, they don't know that we've been talking about this all the time. And the arguments with which they replace this, you know, you're racist, the sky is falling, Trump, 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 those are not going to help people when they can't afford to buy meat. You know, it's, that doesn't work uh, after a while. People will be intimidated and insulted for a while, but after a while, they want their kids in school, they want their, crime, their streets safe, uh, they want the economy to work, and the left is incapable of doing any of those things because socialism doesn't work. But, but, more important, and more long-lasting, and more to the point in terms of what we want to do, is that they are miserable. I, you know, I had this really interesting experience on New Year's Day. Uh, you know, I read most of my news like everybody on devices, but I do get the Wall Street Journal as a newspaper, and it's really interesting. Reading a newspaper is a much more immersive experience than using a device. You can see different things. It's like being in a, a bookstore. You just get more of a, a sense of what's going on. The Wall Street Journal doesn't print on federal holidays, so it didn't print, and my news guy, the delivery guy, instead brought me the Washington Post and the New York Times. So the, these, which I usually read on devices, I was completely immersed in, and I thought, no wonder these people are miserable. This is insane. This is a world that doesn't exist, a world of in, in crisis after crisis after crisis, and a world with just no um, moral guidance on behavior. You know, I've noticed now there is a genre in the press uh, in the left-wing press, of miserable people writing op-eds telling you that you can be miserable too. Now, I'm sure you have this experience in your ordinary life. I'm sure you have friends who come to you and say, you know, uh, you ought to stop making your husband dinner. It's like it's it's like a, you're a slave. And you say, well, how's your marriage? Well, my husband left me for the nanny because he makes she makes him dinner and takes care of the kids, and he wants somebody to take care of them. These miserable people want to spread their misery, and so. The, Article after article after article in these papers and other left-wing venues, especially keyed in to attacking 
what is for most of us the great consolation of life, which is love between a man and a woman, and usually expressed in marriage, or most uh, wholly expressed in marriage. And I see article after article, by, especially by women, saying they're married, they've destroyed their marriage, and what a wonderful thing this is, even though you can tell even by reading the piece that they're miserable. I gotta read just a little piece of this from a senior editor at The Atlantic named Honor Jones, How I Demolished My Life. And what she says is she was rebuilding her house, uh, she was designing her house, when suddenly she realized, I don't wanna design my house, I just wanna divorce my husband. And she says, I loved my husband, it's not that I didn't, but I felt that he was standing between me and the world, between me and myself. Everything I experienced was filtered through him before I could access the experience. And the worst part, that it wasn't his fault. It's what I asked him to do to shelter me from the elements, to be caring and broad-shouldered. But now it was like I was always trying to see around him. I couldn't see, but I could imagine. I started imagining other lives that I might have. I wanted to be thinking about art and sex and politics and the patriarchy. How much of my life had I built around my husband? Who could I be if I wasn't his wife? Maybe I would microdose. Maybe I would have sex with women. Maybe I would write a book. Now, this is a woman who then proceeds to destroy her marriage with little kids in the marriage. So she blows up the planet that these children live on. The children live on the planet of your marriage. She throws her vows to her husband away and she deserts him. And it's all about how now she feels raw and alive. And she's obviously miserable. And the one thing that just throughout this entire article I was reading I was thinking, at no point does she ever ask herself, did I do something wrong? Did I do something immoral? Did I do something that transgressed against a moral order? And that is the thing that makes people unhappy, whether they like it or not. If you feel incredibly alive by driving over somebody else, you will ultimately be miserable. And the left has abandoned any kind of moral structure. They don't have a moral structure because a moral structure is a supernatural thing. And I know whenever I use this, people get, they think I'm talking about magic. But what I mean is that when you take an act in nature, like giving a beggar bread or torturing a child, it has a meaning, it has a moral meaning. And that moral, moral meaning exists above nature, it is supernatural. They don't have that. They believe that we're motivated by sex, that we're motivated by money, that we're motivated by materialism. And so what we have to do is we have to put forward a positive vision of what it means. Every study shows the conservatives are happier uh, than the miserable left. The left is just increasingly miserable. I know a lot of them, I know they're miserable. And these, they're, and when you're blowing your marriage up, when you're doing stuff that's wrong, when you don't really know it's wrong, when you don't have anyone to say, yeah, you're doing the wrong thing, and instead you gotta do the right thing, you have no guidance. Morality is a kind of an allegory. It is acting in a way that reflects a higher uh, set of values. You know, we had this conversation with my friend Liz Wheeler uh, a while back, and I, I said to her, you know, guys don't get as much out of marriage as they used to. When I got married, I had a woman to make me a home, to make me dinner, to take care of my kids, to help me with my career, uh, to actually be a sort of uh, world for me to live in, which I didn't have because I'm a kind of itinerant uh, you know, artist type and I, I really didn't have a world and my wife built for me a world that I could live in and act in uh, and, and have the life that I wanted to have. She enhanced my life and I don't think guys get that as much. And I asked Liz, well, what's the point now? of getting married and uh, for a guy. What's the point of a guy getting married? And here is what she said. Well, I think if you're coming at it from a Christian perspective, then you get to live out some of the mystical union between God and his church. And I know that as a Catholic, as Christians, that's what we believe, that marriage is this peak, if you will, into this love that God has for his bride, which is his church, that we can't fully understand 
while we're here on earth. And God gives us this union between man and woman and says, love each other the way that I love my church, whether that's the respect, whether that's the, you know, the all controversial term of submission, which we know does not mean subservient. Um, he tells us that this is a peek into the union between you, between us as God's children and God. And so it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a situation where you're talking about a 1950s housewife who cleans the house in her high heels and has her husband's dinner on the table for him when he comes home from work every day. That's fine if that's what you want to do, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be practically set up like that for you to have this really solid and I'm talking about culturally solid in addition to spiritually, this really culturally solid institution that prevents a lot of societal ills. You know, it's funny when she said that, I thought you didn't answer the question. You know, I love Liz and she's a great commentator, but I just thought, you know, that doesn't really tell me what a guy gets out of, out of getting married. But in a way it also does because it tells you what you're trying to do. Those are big words. It's big words to say, well, you're representing something godly. When you, rep when you represent yourself as a man, you're representing the male uh, godhead. When you represent yourself as a woman, you're representing the female godhead. That is the real, when they talk about gender assignment, that's the assignment. That's what you're supposed to do. And everyone is different, but still, I don't think it hurts. Not every man is a soldier, but I don't think it hurts every man to try and have the integrity and courage that go along with being a man. Not every woman is a, a homemaker. Not every woman is a mom, but I think it helps every woman to try and achieve the tenderness and generosity that go along with womanhood. When you do not have that supernatural realm to act in, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what's, what's the difference if I dump my kids as long as I feel better. When you do have it, you can sometimes get too restrained. You can sometimes think that uh, you start to pass judgment on other people and are they doing what they're supposed to do. But each of us, I think, has an individual mandate, an individual command to fulfill, to fulfill our moral uh, obligations and to fill our moral identity. And that's a positive thing that we do with our lives. Each one of us has to do it individually according to our calling. If we do that, we're going to have the kind of joy, the kind of uh, moral life, and the kind of good life, the kind of beautiful life that we can hold up to the left and say, you know what? You don't have to live like this. You don't have to live alone. You don't have to destroy your marriage to find life. You don't have to destroy your cities to be fair. You don't have to destroy your economy to feel that you're being a generous person. There is a way. Freedom, capitalism, governed by moral values that we can put forward. And this is the moment. This is the moment as we come into the midterms, their system is falling apart. And we have to understand how to represent the moral vision and the moral order, or we're not going to be able to take advantage of this incredible moment. If you love great content like this, like and subscribe. And if you want more, subscribe to the Andrew Claven podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I have to give Ann Coulter credit for this. She wrote two columns. You know, she writes really good columns. She's a really good writer, really good researcher. And she hasn't been as uh, prominent lately. She hasn't been on all the shows lately, but her column is still terrific. And she did a couple of articles on this Ghislaine Maxwell trial and some of the testimony that came out that was reported in exactly two, exactly two American papers, even though it was in the British papers, okay? Now, remember... 
prosecutors love to prosecute celebrities. They love it, right? It makes them look great. I mean, they put Martha Stewart in jail for some <laughs> stupid inside trading thing. And admittedly, it did in- improve the sheets uh, in the prison. But other than that, putting Martha Stewart in jail was, re- I mean, the streets were so much safer with Martha Stewart off the streets. But they love, they love prosecuting celebrities. But nobody seems to have offered Ghislaine Maxwell a deal to come out and talk about who was screwing Jeff Epstein's little girls? Who was he peddling these girls to? And what did he then have on them? Because he apparently, well, listen listen to this story from the testimony, right? This is the testimony. It was covered in two American papers, and Ann Coulter is spreading it around good for her because the British are talking about it because obviously Ghislaine Maxwell is, is one of them. An FBI agent, Special Agent Kelly McGuire, testified in the trial about the search of Uh, Jeffrey Epstein's Manhattan townhouse, right? This was before he was put in prison where he was suicided, right? And we knew that they came up with all this stuff with jewelry and all this, but now in the trial, she testified that they also came up with with computer uh, disks and in these hard drives, right? And in these hard drives, they found them in a safe. And they were asked, she was, Kelly McGuire was asked, how did you get into the safe? She said, we brought a saw. So they were ready. They came in, they sawed open the safe, they came out with this, and they came out with these hard drives. What was in these? Apparently, there was an enormous collection of photos of naked young women and possibly the men that they were having sex with, the influential men they were having sex with. So they, so Jeffrey Epstein is having these, these women sleep with influential men, taking movies of it, but he wouldn't be blackmailing them or anything like that. He wouldn't be using this to get power over them or to get money out of them because nobody knows how Jeffrey Epstein got so rich. Nobody even knows where his money comes from. Nothing, nothing in the press, nothing. What happened to these hard drives? Where are they? Well, they'll tell you, the agents left. The agents left. They abandoned the photos and the CDs with Epstein's employees all over the townhouse. They're wandering all over the townhouse. And Kelly McGuire says, that they only had a warrant to search the house, but not to remove evidence. <laughs> a warrant to remove evidence. And they couldn't spare an FBI agent to stay around and make sure nobody tampered with the evidence. They just left it there. The CDs and the photographs disappeared. And by the time, this is reading Ann's uh, column, by the time the FBI returned with a new warrant four days later to remove the CDs and photos, they were gone. How... how Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? Later, after a few phone calls, Epstein's lawyer, Richard Kahn, returned the uh, material in two suitcases, but we don't know whether the videos were tampered with. We don't know whether they were gone. We don't know if all the photos were there. We do not know. And at the same time as this is going on, by the way, prosecutors quietly revealed that weeks earlier, they had dismissed all the charges against the prison guards who failed to check on Epstein for more than eight hours the night he allegedly committed suicide. And here's Ann Coulter again pointing out that the feds not only did not move Epstein to a super maximum security prison, as some observers recommended, but they also, the day before Epstein died, he was taken off suicide watch. Against orders, his cellmate was transferred elsewhere, leaving Epstein completely alone in his cell. All the cameras on Epstein's floor were mysteriously broken. Even the footage of his earlier suicide attempt had been mistakenly erased and the backup footage destroyed as a result of technical errors, quote, unquote. But if you have a conspiracy theory about this, you're a nutty right-winger, okay? 
Virginia Jeffrey, who is one of the w- women who was uh, abused, and there's that picture of her with uh, Prince Andrew, she has named some of these people. She has said that some of the people who were there, Prince Andrew, uh, former Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, who has been on the show, former New Mexico governor and presidential candidate Bill Richardson, former Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell, Mitchell French model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, and hedge fund billionaire Glenn Dubin. Dershowitz, by the way, strenuously denies these charges, we should say. But the, tr- the suit that uh, Virginia has filed against Prince Andrew has just been declared that it will, it, the judges just declared that that will go on. So maybe we'll hear uh, some, some more about these people. Meanwhile, I've brought this story up once before. Zero other people are covering the story, and I have to bring it up just, just to remind you about it. I don't have anything on this. I don't have any special knowledge about it, but I just have to bring it up because I just want to put a marker down on this story. There is a woman, a 39-year-old woman named Heidi Plunk, attractive blonde lady, who vanished in highly suspicious circumstances after attending her 11-year-old son's flag football game in Los Angeles on October 17th. The LAPD has said in a statement that it appears that she died at the apartment building where she was last seen, and they have been searching the Chiquita Canyon landfill, which is connected to that building, looking, obviously, for her body. Heidi Plunk worked for a guy named Jason Sugarman, who we can see in this picture uh, that was exclusively gotten by the son of a blog site. Uh, We can see him partying at an Oscar party in Hollywood with Ghislaine Maxwell. Okay, this is Jason Sugarman parting with Ghislaine Maxwell. Here's the photo. Heidi's ex-husband, Jim Wayne, who was the first reporter missing, has previously claimed that the cops are looking into her job as an accountant for Camden Capital, where Jason Sugarman is the boss, all right? Sugarman is currently facing a civil case. I know these things get very complicated, but at least keep... keep, this in mind. A woman has disappeared. She worked for a guy named Jason Sugarman, who partied with Ghislaine Maxwell. And Sugarman is currently facing a civil case brought by the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC is charging with a scam against Native Americans, where he stole $43 million against a Native American tribe. Okay. Woman disappears. Her boss is Sugarman. Sugarman's former business partner, partner is Jason Galanis, who is in prison because he was convicted of this conspiracy against the Indian tribe. Galanis is a career criminal who was once dubbed porn's new king. He hangs out with uh, the Gam- people from the Gambino crime family, and he hangs out with, he used Hunter Biden's name to draw people into this scheme, right? Hunter Biden was described in a promotional research as vice chairman for Burnham Financial Group. Two of the convicted co-conspirators conspirators in Indian bonds fraud are Devin Archer and Bevan Cooney. And here's Arthur Archer pictured with Hunter Biden and the big guy, Joe Biden. Okay, here's a picture of these guys. This is just, this is not tenuous connections. These are all people who work together, all people who were charged in a scam. And now a woman has vanished and is presumed dead by the LAPD who's connected to these people. And her ex-husband says they're researching these people. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not stretching out a conspiracy theory. All I'm saying is in a world where we know that corrupt people are not only routinely screwing underage children, possibly being blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein, possibly arranging for Jeffrey Epstein to suicide him, him to be suicided in prison, 
I want to know. I want to know why, if, if this were Donald Trump, I mean, I hate to use it as cliche, but if this were Donald Trump and I could draw those connections, would every paper in the country not be covering this at the, as a headline? What the hell happened to Heidi Plank and why? Where is she? And what, what is the connection of all these people and how connected are they to Hunter Biden? Here's another conspiracy theory that you got kicked off Twitter for using. You know, when you have this kind of corruption and abuse at the highest levels, and, and you have the information systems that are built to expose this abuse at the highest levels, and when those informations do, in fact, try to expose that abuse when a Republican is in power, especially a Republican who's as much of a loose cannon as Donald Trump, and then they go absolutely silent, absolutely silent when it's a Democrat, and a Democrat who we know is a lying, mean-spirited little man, we know from his history, and yet the press goes absolutely quiet, we're left on our own. We are left on our own. And some of our conspiracy theories are going to be nutty, like QAnon, and some of them are going to be like Clavenon, which is just the facts right in front of you that young women are routinely, and young boys, if you include Hollywood, are routinely being abused. This is routinely being covered up. We do not know of the blackmail systems that were in place to cover it and to, and to keep people under control. The first time they tried to charge Jeffrey Epstein, remember this? One of the guys in the Trump administration had to quit. He said, well, I was told he was with intelligence and I should leave him alone. We just don't know. We just don't know where this leads. And we, you know, we have a right to demand that people go after this. This is the stuff that people should be going after. If you want more Claveny goodness, like and subscribe. And if you want even more Claveny goodness, like and subscribe to The Andrew Claven Show wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Biden and the Democrats are pushing what is essentially this federal takeover of our voting laws. And this is completely unconstitutional. The Constitution says that the federal government has the right to give uh, the time and the place of elections. So they can say first Tuesday in November, it's going to be, you know, this day or whatever. But it is up to the states to set the laws about how we're going to have the elections. Each state does it themselves. So they ginned up this January 6th thing, and I've already given you my opinions on January 6th, whether the feds were involved in instigating it or not, doesn't matter. It was a stupid thing to do. Trump handled it badly. And so they've used this. They, we put the weapons in their hands, and they've used this to create this feeling that somehow there's this tremendous insurrectionary force uh, out there in America just waiting to overthrow the government by force of arms. And, and it's you, by the way. that You, you didn't know because you just thought you were going voting Republican. But no, you, in fact, are a terrorist and you are going to overthrow, uh, you know, the Supreme Court. Now, so they, they can't get this passed. They, they can't get this federal election thing past the Senate with the filibuster still in place. So now the target becomes the filibuster and they want to get rid of the filibuster. Now, remember, all of this stuff backfires on them all the time. The last time they did this, they said, well, we're not going to allow the filibuster for federal judges. And Mitch McConnell, who never changes anything, he never wants to break any of the rules, said, well, if you're going to do it for federal judges, we're going to do it for the Supreme Court. And now we have a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. I won't play the Trump happiness montage again, but just remember that's because we have a, you know, this decision that we won at the Supreme Court. It was 6-3, I believe, right? It was all the conservative justices supported this. So 
all of this stuff is, is bad news, but they think if they pass this thing, that it won't matter because then they will win elections forever. Even though this is even though Joe Biden's approval rating is now down to four editorial writers at the New York Times and uh, a guy who lives on the streets of San Francisco and is shouting at Venus. Those are the people who now support <laughs> the new Quinnipiac Bowl. has got a 33% approval rating, I believe, uh, although it's uh, even lower among people who can read. So now Joe Biden, he wants to get, he wants to intimidate his people, his own people, to support the, destroying the filibuster. He knows this isn't going to happen. He knows it's not going to happen. But he wants to make sure that AOC and all these people on the left are satisfied that he is doing what has to be done. So he goes down, the devil goes down to Georgia, and he makes this incredible speech. I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide. That's that's amazing. I mean, that is genuinely. First of all, I just want to point out that Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, Abraham Lincoln both Republicans, but but he's basically saying that if you don't support this. If you don't support this, you are a segregationist and a bigot and a racist, okay? Now, first of all, people are saying, oh, gee, you know, Joe Biden, lunch bucket Joe, he was elected to bring us together, and now suddenly he's divisive, you know, he's dividing people. This creep has always been this guy. He has always been a nasty piece of work, always. My my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, was wrote for The American Mind. He pointed out that he, he used to like George Wallace. He said it was like the filibuster. He used to, Biden said, uh, in 1987, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported that Biden bragged of an award he received from George Wallace in 1973. And in 1975, then Senator Biden added, I think the Democratic Party could stand a liberal George Wallace, someone who's not afraid to stand up and offend people. But on top of this, you know, you, you've heard the expression borking. That was because Robert Bork, a Supreme Court justice, was completely unfairly slandered to keep him off the court because Teddy Kennedy and Joe Biden didn't want a conservative appointed to, to the court. This was 1987. So when they nominated Robert Bork, they turned out all this stuff and made him sound like he was going to segregate uh, diners again. And just it was just awful. That was in part Joe Biden. 1991, he helped with the electronic lynching of Clarence Thomas over nothing. They keep talking about Anita Hill like she's a hero of the republic, even if even if the stuff that she charged Clarence Thomas with was true, and Thomas has consistently claimed that it wasn't true, even if it wasn't true, it didn't even reach levels of Me Too uh, nonsense. It was just kind of the kind of stuff, rough things that go on in an office. That also, Joe Biden was there. And remember when Obama was running against Mitt Romney, this is 2012 now, Mitt Romney pointed out quite rightly that the Dodd-Frank reform bill that came after the collapse in 2008, he pointed out that this was written by Christopher Dodd and Barney Frank, who were responsible for the crash in 2008. They were the, they were the guys who started the government, took the government actions that led to the crash in 2008. They wrote the reform bill. And so... Uh, Mitt Romney attacked the reform bill, and this was Joe Biden's measured response. Look at what they value and look at their budget. 
and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first 100 days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. They're going to put you all back in chains. This is about Mitt Romney. The most bland, middle-of-the-road Republican. The conservatives on the Republican Party can't stand him because he's so middle-of-the-road, but he's going to enslave black people again. He's going to enslave back black people again because he had the temerity to attack this corrupt bill that the Obama administration produced while prosecuting no one for the crash. You know, I, I, I hit Donald Trump for his poor comportment. I, you know, do I not? I mean, I'm constantly talking about his bad manners, how they cost him the election, how they cost him the ability to, uh, op, you know, operate in a statesmanlike manner that would have gotten us laws instead of exact executive actions. This guy, Joe Biden, is worse. He's a nasty little man, and he's always been a nasty little man. If you like great content, and who doesn't like great content, like and subscribe. And if you want more, subscribe to The Andrew Clavin Show wherever you get your podcasts. So one of the experiences that a lot of parents have had during the pandemic is because of the lockdowns, because their kids were at home, they got to see some of the things that their teachers were actually teaching their children. And it was an experience a little bit like that moment uh, when the guy with the butcher knife comes in in a movie or, you know, when somebody rises up out of a grave. It was just a moment of pure horror. So today, by virtue of uh, the wonderful uh, site, The Libs of TikTok, uh, we have got some videos. I haven't seen these yet. I haven't seen these. These are videos of teachers on TikTok telling you what they think. And these are some of the people taking care of and teaching your children. So let's take a look and, and see what they are. Hi. So I have a small dilemma. Um, I am starting a new job on Monday and it's a teaching job. So the kids are going to call me either Mr. or Mrs. Jamie. It depends on what I want, but I, as a non-binary being, I don't know what to pick. I feel like Mrs. would be easier for the kids, but Mr. makes me feel better. But I also kind of want to try mix, but I don't know if they, like, the kids can do that. I don't... And then what do they do when they ask me if I'm a boy or a girl? I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. Explain that it's young kids, too. It's young kids. My class is going to be four-year-olds. So, I don't know. And then, I don't know if I want to go by Jamie or Jamie Ray, because Jamie Ray is the name that I... I go by now? I don't know. Um, any advice would be great for any non-binary teachers. SOS, save our ship. SOS, SOC, save our captain. <laughs> Thanks. So my advice would be get into another business, preferably one where you're nowhere near children of any sort. And my advice for the children would be to come in uh, wearing Tyrolean hats and carrying torches and shouting, bring us the monster, uh, until basically uh, she's chased up into a windmill in the hills, like in the movie Frankenstein. I think that would probably solve the problem. If you're a parent, uh, you might want to write to your school board um, and then tie the letter to a rock. I'm a brick! All right, let's take a look at another one. Don't mind how I look. I know I look raggedy. It's the end of the day. So I'm a non-binary preschool teacher, and my kids know I'm non-binary. Um, they know I'm not a girl or a boy. I use they, them pronouns in the classroom. We work on it. Not all the kids get it. That's okay. And I go by Mix Gray in the classroom, not Miss or Mr. Mix. And today, one of the kids goes, hey, we've got two boy teachers in the classroom because 
the other teacher in the classroom at the time was a guy. And I go, no, there's not. I'm not a girl or a boy, remember? And she goes, oh my God, wait, does that mean you're dead? <laughs> so I think, I think that's my new gender now. Um, I think I'm gonna change all my gender settings to dead. Yeah, I think the, the kid who said, if you're not a boy or a girl, you must be dead, should be teaching the class. I mean, there's obviously the person who is the most mature, has the most mature, realistic outlook uh, in there. How do these people get into teaching and how does anybody hire them? I mean, what is going on? You know, if I'm a parent and I see this, I am there. You, you know, you ever see those things like the superhero Flash? That's how fast I would be at the school trying to get rid of this teacher or at least taking my kid out. And this is amazing. No wonder, you know, this is, this is why the FBI is investigating parents as terrorists. I think they maybe should be investigating the teachers as something. Here's another one. Hi friends, so I'm a NB teacher at a rural school in Idaho and was just told by my school board that I cannot go by they them pronouns and that I cannot have my pronouns displayed in my classroom. Anyone know a lawyer who could help me? Is this legal? It should not just be legal, it should be required. It should be required. You know, you know, this is this is there's something genuinely uh that it would it would be hilarious if it weren't frightening and it would be frightening if it weren't hilarious you know it's kind of somewhere between those two things that not only do these people have this problem and it is a problem uh, but they want to impose it on these children uh, i think really we what we need is we need to teach our children uh self defense riot techniques that's my purse i don't know you um just give them one of those t-shirt guns that they use at schools so they can you know Let's take another look. This is, this is the most depressing. Why did you guys do this to me? This is the most depressing series of videos I've ever seen. She is reading a story to all these kids sitting outside in hats and coats and gloves. It is 24 degrees outside. 24 degrees. This is absolutely unacceptable unacceptable. What do you mean? You want them to go inside and catch COVID when they could sit outside in 24 degree weather <laughs> and wearing masks? You know, it's not going to hurt. The, it's not going to hurt kids. What, what are they going to remember? They're going to remember, you know, no, I was thinking about math. I was thinking about math, you know, and it was, I, I mean, little Tommy next to me, he wasn't moving anymore, but you know, it was, it was so interesting to be, the math lesson was so interesting until Tommy just fell over and then just shattered because he had already turned to ice. You know, our kids, you know, they say the kids are all right. The kids are fine. The adults, not all right. <laughs> okay. See, throw it back. Start a riot. See, throw it back. Start a riot. See, throw it back. Start a riot. All right. Uh, yeah, those are books that uh, should be should be banned. Uh, you know, I'm not for banning books. Books like that, if you can burn them, I think it's probably better than banning them. But if you can't burn them, ban them and then burn them. I think that would be the right thing to do. These are teachers teaching your children, somebody's children, in some class somewhere. 
Stop comparing protests that have occurred because people are being murdered for the color of their skin to a white supremacist inciting a violent riot on our nation's capital, which was followed through by literal Nazis and terrorists because he didn't win an election. And if you are a school administrator who is not allowing your educators to speak about this with your students, or if you're an educator who's not talking about it because you are too uncomfortable, you are all complicit in white supremacy. And if you can talk about 9-11 and acknowledge that, with your students, then you can talk about what happened on January 6th. Just because the terrorists weren't brown or from another country doesn't make this any less of a terrorist attack. <laughs> you know, what I love is the self-certainty and self-righteousness of these people, which would really it would probably be enhanced if we could, if we were allowed to pick them up by their ankles and dip their hair in Elmer's glue. I mean, I, I, some of you may not understand why I say that. Like, what would, how would that change if you pick them up by the ankles and dip their hair in Elmer's glue? And just make me laugh. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's important. I think laughter is the best medicine, uh, especially if you have teachers like this who need to be have their hair dipped in Elmer's glue. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. It is unbelievable that school districts are letting these people in. It is unbelievable that the people who are protesting it are called terrorists. The people protesting it should be called parents, I think. And the t- these people who are teachers should not be teachers. Well, here we are, and this seems like a good time to take a look back at the year in review. Saturday was a holiday, so that really slowed things down. And of course, there wasn't much going on Sunday. Then Monday, it snowed. Now, that's about it. But we still have some time left, so maybe we should take a look back at some of the stuff that happened in 2021 as well. 2021 was a year of big successes for the Democrats. They successfully took over the government, plus they came to power at such a bad moment for the nation's health and economy that anyone with the brains of a tangerine or even a New York Times subscriber could have easily led the way to an era of massive recovery and widespread good feeling. So that was pretty much a high point for them. President and venal houseplant Joe Biden successfully set out to fulfill his promise of bringing the Chinese virus under control. One successful result of his actions was that after years of decline in classical education, Americans are now finally learning the names of the Greek letters that identify the virus variants that are killing them in higher numbers than during the Trump administration. To be fair, White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki says that more people actually died during the Trump administration if you include all the terrorists Trump had killed while destroying the ISIS caliphate that took over much of Syria and Iraq the last time Joe Biden was in the White House. So... Congratulations, Democrats. The Democrats also successfully claimed to have won the election with a governing mandate because anyone who said they didn't was taken off YouTube. So they successfully laid out an ambitious plan to successfully transform America, which had been mired for far too long in wealth, power, and freedom. Although Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia initially showed some reluctance to support the ambitious plan, the administration successfully managed to browbeat and insult Manchin until he set his reluctance aside and replaced it with an iron determination to shove the plan so far down Chuck Schumer's throat that Schumer's head would explode, after which Manchin would use Schumer's splattered brains to paint up yours Joe Biden, you brain-dead son of a toad, on the Senate walls. The White House says that negotiations with Senator Manchin will continue until the entire Congress is laid waste. 
The Democrats successfully ended the war in Afghanistan, along with any lingering sense we might have had of honor and self-respect, and they successfully instituted a much greener environmental policy, successfully hobbling the nation's energy production, which in turn successfully strengthened and enriched Russia and China so they could successfully continue to fund their mission of successfully taking over the world. And finally, while it is true that here at home, meat prices have skyrocketed, the administration has successfully raised the nation's respect for vegetables by having one of them run the country.